But let's turn to Psalm 23, and I'm calling this a shepherd for all seasons. Follow along as I read. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we pray today that as we consider this psalm, that you would minister to our hearts concerning who you are. Lord, I pray that you as our shepherd would become an even more of a a reality in each one of our lives today. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Psalm 23 is a classic psalm. It's a psalm that many, many Christians have memorized. A lot of people even who are not Christians know this psalm. But a lot of people only know it in theory. They don't know it in experience. In fact, it reminds me of, of the time when this very popular Hollywood actor was having, they were having a big birthday party for him up in Hollywood, and they rented out a big banquet room at a hotel, and all these people, all his friends and people in the Hollywood industry had come to this party. And as the party was going on, they were asking this famous actor if he would do different parts from plays and movies he was in. So he'd be up on the stage, and he'd be, you know, acting out these little bits, and people were making requests. Well, there was an old pastor in the audience. He was in his 80s. He, he had known this uh, actor since he was a little boy, and he raised his hand, and he asked him, he said, can you recite Psalm 23? And the actor said, yeah, I know that psalm. He says, tell you what, I'll, I'll recite it on one condition that you, pastor, when I'm done, that you come up and recite it after me. And so the, the actor recited the psalm just like an actor would with all of his charisma and flair. And when he was done, the whole crowd just, you know, stood in ovation. And then this old pastor got up and he recited Psalm 23. And when he was done, there wasn't a dry eye in the whole place. Everyone was just moved in their heart. And later, one of the friends of the actor said, you know, when you recited Psalm 23, it was, it was amazing, it was incredible, but it did compare to that old pastor. And the actor had a very insightful response to that. He said, here's why. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. That's the difference. And today, what I want us to do is I want us to unpack Psalm 23 to do a deep dive into this in seeing our shepherd that in hopes we might leave here today with a a better sense and move into our week. And for those of you who are struggling to maybe grab a hold of these truths about who your shepherd is and what he's seeking to do in your life. And the first thing I want you to note about this psalm is that David, the author, he's a guy who experienced a lot of high. 
highs as well as a lot of lows in his walk with God. Consider a couple of his highs. When he was 15 years old, the prophet Samuel comes to his house and anoints him to be the next king over Israel. Shortly after that, he goes to the battlefield where the giant, the Philistine giant Goliath was, you know, making mockery of God and mockery of the army of Israel. And David volunteers to go out and take down the giant. And he comes to him and he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you today in the name of the God of Israel. And today he's going to deliver you into my hand. And you know that story. It's exactly what happened. And then after that, David, he becomes, even as a young man, this mighty warrior. And the people are singing his praises. In fact, he has the number one song in all of the land as they're, you know, the ladies are singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And so these were some great highs. Everything was falling into place in his life. But David also had some low lows. During that time, Saul, the king, who became very jealous of David. And he tried to pin him to the wall with his spear several times, trying to kill him. It made David end up fleeing into the wilderness where he becomes a fugitive for the next 15 years. He's living in caves and living out in the forest. During that time, his best friend gets killed. Later on, his daughter would be raped. Three of his children would die prematurely. And then his oldest son would try to, once he becomes the king, his oldest son would try to overthrow uh, his kingdom and run him out of town. So those were some low lows that David experienced. David knew what it was like to experience pain. He knew what it was like to, to be distressed. And yet David pens these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. In other words, David learned to find his rest and his peace in God as his shepherd. And listen to me, friends. Your peace in life isn't found in what you have, but it's found in who has you. I love that David says the Lord is my shepherd, not the shepherd, or a shepherd. He, he says, he is my shepherd. There's a sense of ownership in that statement. David is saying, my heart belongs to my shepherd. I am his, and he is mine. You know, Jesus picks up on this imagery of the shepherd in John chapter 10, when he said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and they know me. They know my voice. They know my presence. And so as we read what David wrote here in Psalm 23, we can picture Jesus. Now, what's interesting, though, about this is, is of all the animals in the animal kingdom that God could compare us to, he compares us to sheep. He doesn't compare us to some of the strongest creatures that he made. For instance, like the elephant. Did you know the elephant can carry 2,000 pounds? It's amazing. And he doesn't compare us to the eagles that fly majestically in the sky, and they can carry, as they're flying, four times their body weight. 
Nor does he compare us to the tiger that can literally, as it's climbing up a tree, carry 1,200 pounds up that tree with them over twice its body weight. God doesn't compare us to some of the strongest creatures that he made, nor does he compare us to the dolphins who are you know, one of the, the smartest creatures that he's made. No, in God's word, when he seeks to compare people to an animal, the one that he uses more than any other one is he compares us to sheep. And sheep are one of the dumbest (laughs) and neediest of God's creatures. Sheep left to themselves will wander into harm's way. They will wander from safety and provision In fact, one sheep has been known to lead a whole herd right off a cliff. Like the one sheep goes, oh, that looks like fun. Woo! And all the other sheep follow after it. Sheep need to be led into the right places to eat. Sheep don't naturally rest. Does that sound like us? You know, they, they, they need to be made to lie down. And when sheep fall down, they need help getting back up. To put it very simply, sheep need a shepherd, and that's why God compares us to sheep, is because we need a shepherd too. But I've got good news for you. Can everybody say good news? The good news is that Jesus has chosen to be our shepherd. That the great God of the universe has stooped down. He's come down to take care of our needs. Now in that sentiment that David the psalmist is celebrating here in Psalm 23. I want us to consider what this psalm tells us about Jesus as our shepherd. And the first thing I want you to note is that Jesus as our shepherd wants to lead us. That Jesus, he's in charge of the path and the pace in your life. The imagery we see here in verse 2 is he says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. In other words, he leads us into seasons of rest and refreshment and refueling. That's what the green pastures and the still waters speak of. It's those seasons when everything seems to be falling into place. Everything is is going great. There's no drama. It's just peace. And those type of seasons are amazing, aren't they? When those seasons come. It's like when you're on vacation and just everything just seems bliss. Your devotions are good. Your time with the, in the word with, with the Lord is good. Your, your, what's going on with you and your wife is good. Like just everything is wonderful. And you just have that worshipful heart. But the problem is, is those seasons of green pastures and still waters, they don't last that long, don't they? Life interrupts them. Stuff happens. We come back to reality and the the bills are waiting for us and and there's sickness and, and crisis. And that's just life. That's what we call being human. And I think one of the things that's so essential for us as Christians to understand is this, that the Christian life is a blessed life, but it's not an easy life. It's not a life that is void of problems. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. 
Yesterday afternoon, I was at a park in Oceanside with my little grandson, Josiah, and we were just having a great time, and all of a sudden, it started pouring down rain. I got to tell you, though, when it was pouring down rain, it wasn't like the rain was falling on everyone else in the park, and there was a ray of sunshine over me and Josiah. No, we got sopping wet, just like everyone else, and that's life. As Christians, we're not immune from difficulties and trials and problems. And on top of that, we are in a constant battle with an enemy of our souls. But here's the thing. We don't go through those things alone because we have a good shepherd. I want you to notice that David says in verse 3 that he also restores our soul. To restore something means to bring it back to its right or original condition. So we see people, they restore pieces of furniture. Maybe you've done that. There's guys in our church who have restored classic cars, others who have restored an old house. But how do you restore sheep? What is their right position? Well, I think the psalmist in Psalm 42 gives us some insight into what David is talking about here because in that psalm, three times in 11 verses, the psalmist describes his soul as being cast down. That speaks of of being discouraged and despondent. And although being cast down certainly includes that idea of being discouraged and despondent, in the life of a sheep, it means something even more than that. And if you like to read, there's a book that I would highly, highly recommend that you get and read. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. It is a classic Philip Keller was a shepherd who unpacks this psalm. If you have never read that book, I would encourage you to get it. If you have read it, but not in a long time, I would encourage you to read it again. It's a phenomenal book. And in that book, Keller writes that a cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. And this is how a sheep gets cast, is that when a sheep lies down, on its side to kind of rest in the grass. Sheep have a very flat back. And so sometimes as they're laying there and they'll start to nod off, they'll fall over on their back. And because their back is so flat, they end up on their back with their legs straight up in the air. And when they're in that condition, that that place, they can't get themselves right side up again. Now, some of you who are are cat and dog owners, you're thinking, "My, my dog does that all the time. He's always like that. My dog this morning, as I was preparing for the message in my office at home, he's on his little bed there in my office, and he's like this, on his back, you know, just, and when a dog or cat is in that place, it means that they are the most secure, they are the most at rest, they are the most at peace, like everything in their world is hunky-dory when they're like this on their back. But for the sheep, it's the exact opposite of that. It's a very dangerous place because on their back, the gases begin to build up in their stomach, which retards their blood circulation. And after a few hours, their stomach begins to harden. The air passage can get cut off and they can suffocate. This is referred to a cast down position. It's extremely dangerous. Plus, it puts the sheep in a very vulnerable place to any predator that would come along. But... The shepherd restores them. 
How does the shepherd restore the sheep when they find him in that position? Well, the first thing he does is he'll come and gently begin to massage their legs to bring the blood blood flow back into circulation. Then the shepherd will straddle the sheep and lift it back into a standing position, back on its feet, and it'll hold on to the sheep in order for the the sheep to gather its equilibrium, and then and only then will the sheep be released back into the flock. Well, you know what? Life has a way of knocking us on our back, doesn't it? Life has a way of knocking us down. It's easy for us in this life to lose our sense of balance and our equilibrium. It's easy for us to get knocked on our back, so to speak, and we can feel like in that place, maybe you felt like that this week, like you're about to suffocate, that the walls just feel like they're caving in around you, that you're feeling claustrophobic in your heart. Now, on the outside, we can fake it, we can put on a smile. We can say, hey, everything's great. But inside, we, we're, we're dying. Despondency and depression are looming in our hearts. But listen, Jesus, our good shepherd, is right there. He's with you. He's with you today, seeking to gently restore you back to health and back to life. He whispers in your ear in those times, I've got you, I'm with you. He reminds us of what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter four when he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Catch that. We're always looking for peace that comes with understanding. If I could just figure out what's going on, if I could just figure a way out of this, and the Lord's saying, no, 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 I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses understanding. And notice what he says next. It, It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is our good shepherd who seeks to restore us. So our shepherd leads us into green pastures and beside the still waters. He's the great restorer of our souls. But notice what David says next in the second part of verse 3, that Jesus leads us into the paths of righteousness. And there's two ideas here. Paths of righteousness speak of the godly path. And Jesus definitely seeks to lead us in that godly path to walk in righteousness. I love how Peter puts it in, in first or second Peter chapter one, verse three. He says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In Jesus, we are given all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that's what we're interested in. He's empowering us and leading us into those things. That's who he is as our shepherd. That happens the more that we follow him and trust him. But I want you to also note that the path of righteousness can also be translated right paths. And Jesus, our shepherd, will lead us down a path that we need to go. He always seeks to take us in the right direction. And that right path, it's the right path, it's the right direction for us to be going in our life, but it's not always an easy path, is it? Sometimes that path is uphill. Sometimes that path is bumpy. Sometimes that path is we're going over, you know, rocks. 
right paths can be hard. Like, for instance, the path of confrontation. When you've got to deal with something and you hate confrontation. It's a tough situation. That's, that can be the right path. It's the path told, toward total surrender. Or we need to just surrender our heart to the Lord. It's, it's the right path when God brings us face to face with our pride. And we realize this is the problem. The problem that's going on in my life right now. It's with me. And because our natural tendency for so many of us is to choose the path of least resistance. But oftentimes the path that includes resistance is exactly the path that we need to be on. It's the right path. It's the path that's going to build your faith. It's the path that's going to build your endurance. It's the path that's going to make you more like Jesus. And notice what he says. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That reminds us that your life and my life is meant to be a platform or a stage that God wants to be glorified. And it's the reminder to us that, that we exist for him, that we exist for God, that we exist to shine as lights in this world, that people would see us and see how we're going through life and they would glorify him. Sometimes the path and the pace are a part of God's preparation. He's preparing us for something in the future. That's exactly what he was doing in the life of David. David would spend, as I said, 15 years wandering in the wilderness. He he was about 15 years old when he was anointed as king, but he wouldn't become king until he was 30. So 15 years he spent wandering around the wilderness and living in caves with this band of ruffians. And I'll tell you this, David, if he was writing the story, he would not have picked that path. He wouldn't have said, okay, this is how this is going. He said, no, no, that's not the path or the pace that he would have chosen. But it was the right path for his preparation. And David's shepherd was in charge of the path and the pace and those hard times that he was going through. But God was using that as the training ground to prepare him to be the king. So listen to me, church. If you don't like where you're at today, that means that you have a problem with God's leadership. It means that you have a problem with the path and the pace that he has you on. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Rob, I read in the Psalms, and David did a lot of complaining. And you're right, he did. David complained a lot. David would say things like, God, this stinks. David would pray sometimes, Lord, just kill my enemies. Those who are causing me so much harm, God, just take them out. And I got to tell you, I love that. I wish I had the freedom to pray that way sometimes, you know. Lord, just take them out. And, and, but that was David. And David was called a man after God's own heart. But here's what made David different from all of us. I want you to hear me on this. David did complain. But you know what's interesting? David only complained to God. David, never ever you hear him complaining to anybody else. He complained to God. 
And even in that opportunity when, when Saul wanders into that cave that David and his men were hiding in, and David has a chance to take him out. In fact, his men are saying, here's your chance. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. David's response was, nope, I'm not touching him. He's the Lord's anointed, my shepherd. He'll, he'll, he can put me in that place when he wants to. So David never complained to others about his situation. He only complained to God. And here's the second thing I want you to note is that David, although he did complain at times, he never stayed in that place. If you read those Psalms where David is complaining, what's interesting about them is they'll start off complaining, they'll start off depressed, but they never end that way. They always end with David focusing on the Lord and praising the Lord. I mean, sometimes you read the Psalms and David can seem bipolar. Have any of you ever felt that way before? Like, what is wrong with this guy? You know, like he starts off this way. Well, I have a theory on that. I don't know if I'm if this is totally right, but I, I think when we get to heaven, you'll find out. Pastor Rob was right on that one. And my theory is this, is I don't think David wrote those Psalms all in one sitting. I think some of those times, and a lot of my friends that I know who are musicians who write songs, they, they hardly ever write them in one sitting. I think David would sometimes write verse 1, Lord, this stinks. Lord, kill my enemies. Lord, I'm depressed. Lord, I'm, I'm upset with everything going on. And then he'd go off into his day. And during his day, he'd begin to think about God and his faithfulness. He, like Jamie, would begin to think about God's faithfulness in his, in his life in the past. And so the next day or maybe that evening, David would come back and he'd pick up his pen and he'd pick up his his scroll and he would begin to write verses two and three. And and he would end those, those, those times, those psalms that he started off just so seemingly depressed by rejoicing in the faithfulness of his shepherd. Because David did something that we need to do more often is David didn't just look up and see what was happening on the horizontal plane. He just didn't just look at things horizontally, at all the problems, all the difficulties, but David lifted his head higher. He got vertical, and he saw his God, and he was reminded in the faithfulness of his God. We have to get vertical, friends. So David tells us he leads us into green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us into those refreshing times. He restores our soul. He leads us into the path of righteousness, those right paths that are going to produce righteousness in us, those paths that are meant to make us more like Jesus. But notice what he says next in verse 4. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, at first glance, this, this kind of seems odd. That the same shepherd who would lead us into green pastures and beside the still waters, who restores our soul, who leads us in the path of righteousness, also is the one who leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds scary. But again, this is where Keller's insight is so beautiful because he writes that it was quite common for shepherds to have the sheep grazing in the winter and spring months in the lowlands. But then in the summer months when it would get really, really hot, they would take the sheep up into the mountains, up to the mountain plateaus. But in order to get from the lowlands to the, the, the farm area, the ranch area, to the mountaintop, they had to pass through the valley. 
And the problem with the valley is that they were dangerous. There were wild animals. There were dark passages. There was the opportunity of a sudden summer storm came up that there would be flooding. But to get to the mountaintop, they have to pass through the valley. The valley could not be avoided. And the same thing is true, my friends, in the Christian life. In order to get to the mountaintop, sometimes our shepherd Jesus has to lead us through the valley. He has to lead us through those valley times. And the valleys are not meant to break us, but to build us up. The valleys are meant to bring us into a closer relationship with Jesus. And I want you to to notice something that's easy to miss here, that's so beautiful that, that David says, look again, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Catch this, for you, everybody say you, are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice at this point, the personal pronoun changes from he to you. And the reason is, is that the Lord is more personal in the valleys. In our darkest hours, that's when the Lord shows up the most. In our most difficult seasons, that's when we see him in new ways. It's like when the disciples were out in the boat. And they're in the midst of this radical storm, and Jesus is sleeping. They think they're going to die. They wake him up. Lord, we're going to die. And Jesus gets up, and he, he, look, he says to the wind and waves, be still. And, and suddenly that storm you see is like a sea of glass. And they're looking at each other going, who, who is this guy? Who is he that even the wind and the waves obey him? They saw him in a new light, when in the midst of the storm. There was that other time when Jesus actually sends them out across the Sea of Galilee. They end up in a storm again. And this time Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. The storm that was over their head, the wind and waves that were crashing over their boat became his sidewalk. And again, they were just blown away. They saw him in this new light. My point is this, Jesus gets even more personal in the storms. In the valleys. I love the confidence that David expresses here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That in the dark valley, he's not just before us, but he's beside us, leading us through those times to calm our fears. Jesus expresses it this way in John chapter 10 when he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and, and, and the, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my When the situations and difficulties arise in our life, know this, Jesus is right there. He's not a hireling. He doesn't flee. He's with us in the midst of the storm. The devil, he wants you to think that you've been abandoned. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Lord is with you. 
in the midst of that storm. His rod and his staff, David said, they comfort me. The rod was that that club that he would use to, to fend off predators. The staff was that curved stick that he would use to pull sheep out of harm's way. The application for us is that no matter where Jesus, our shepherd, is leading us, that that we can know that we don't lack safety, that he is with us, that he has strength to keep us in those times. Notice that the psalmist continues on this personal emphasis in verse 5, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I want you to notice here, David is not switching the metaphor here. Don't get thrown by the word table, because you see, before the shepherd would lead the sheep up to that mountain plateau, he would go before them. He would leave the sheep down below with a few of his friends, and he would go up, and he would prepare this area, this flat area that he would go and prepare it for the sheep to come up and graze. And he would take out all the poisonous plants. Sometimes he would even build encasement with rocks or tree brush around that. And they called that that area the table, the table mesa. And sometimes as he was preparing that, he would be doing it in the presence of the enemies of the sheep, all the wolves, all the different animals, they would be watching him as what he was doing. And it was his way of sending a message to all of those, those other animals that this area is off limits. You come across this line or this wall, you're going to be in trouble. And when the sheep arrived at the end of their climb up to the mountain, to this table mesa that was prepared for them, they knew that they were not going to lack preparation that their shepherd took care of everything that they needed to live on the mountaintop for their those summer months and so too with us our lord supplies us with everything that we need in the season that we're in again peter said he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of So the shepherd, he would lead them into safety, but notice also, he would lead them into joy. He says, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. To anoint the head with oil speaks of a daily, fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit that is available to every single one of us. Remember, Jesus said this to his disciples, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. In fact, you're going to be better off because I'm going to leave my Holy Spirit with you and he's going to come in you and he's going to guide you and he's going to empower you to live for me. And remember what Jesus said, I think it was in John chapter 7, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that those who would believe in him out of their lives would flow rivers, torrents of living water. And it says this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. He's given us his Spirit so that our cup would run over. He's given us his spirit so that we can know, even in the most difficult times, what Paul came to understand, that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect even in our weakness. And you know, so often the world looks at us in our most difficult times. And unbelievers will look at Christians and they'll sit there and be like, man, I don't get this. They'll see you going through something really, really heavy, and they'll see you just standing strong. 
They'll see you not freaking out, and they'll be like, I, just, I don't understand this. How can they be so strong? Well, it's not them. It's their shepherd. And I'm watching a whole lot of people in our body go through this right now. So our shepherd leading us in the, through difficult times, leading us into joy. And then he says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I love this. Not only is the shepherd leading you, but he's chasing after you. And when most people think of God chasing after them, they think of him chasing after them with a club, you know, with, in, in wrath. But no, what does he say? He's chasing after us with goodness and mercy. I'll say this as plainly as I know. To surrender to Jesus is to surrender to his goodness and mercy. But to rebel against Jesus is to rebel against his goodness and his mercy. Finally, because the Lord is my shepherd, we don't lack hope. Notice what he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That tells us that when this life is over, we know where we're headed. We know, guys, that what he has prepared for us it's his house. It's heaven. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That is such a wonderful promise for us, friends. Jesus, he's gone to heaven, and he's preparing a place for us. But he says, one day I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to where I am. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we're waiting for, right? Jesus to come back for his church and to take us to heaven. But you know, heaven's not the end of the story for us. You realize that? Because the Bible tells us that, that after we're with Jesus in heaven for a time, he's going to come back. He comes back to this earth, and we're going to come back with him. And he's going to set up his kingdom here on planet earth. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years, and we're going to rule and reign. We're going to be a part of that. We're going to be with him for eternity. And then after that is a new heaven and a new earth. And my friends, we need to keep our eye on the prize. We need to understand our shepherd. He loves us. He's with us. He's for us.